Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Okay, so we have a tradition. What do we say? On no that, but we but we also say Jesus is risen. Okay, on three we're going to shout Jesus is risen. Okay, one, two, three. Jesus is risen. Amen. In Matthew 16, verse 21, Matthew 16, verse 21, we read, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You know, Jesus prepared his disciples that he would die, but that he would be raised on the third day. And we know that happened, right? That's why we're here today. Let me ask you this. What do you think the mood was of the disciples when they heard Jesus say this? And I say mood, what were their feelings? What were the emotions? Now, these guys have now spent almost three years with him. And he tells them that he's going to die. He's going to suffer, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. If you were in that group, what would have been going through your, your mind? What sort of things would you have been feeling? What do you guys think? Confusion, yes. Top of my list too, right? Anything else? A little bit of unbelief maybe? Like, ah, I don't really believe this. Yeah, maybe skepticism. Anything else? Maybe, yeah, feeling up, upset. What the heck? Right. Am I allowed to say that up here? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, you know, and if you actually read the accounts... And, you know, on the day that Jesus was arrested and the way the disciples behaved, we can we learn some things, you know, um, when it actually happened, uh, you know, we read that they were fearful. They were confused. They were without hope. Um, they felt guilt and shame. We know how Peter responded. We know how Judas responded. He didn't deal with his guilt very well, did he? Um, you know, they, they were lonely. We, we read that they were scattered. They were sad, you know, they were anxious, they, they were mourning, you know, when Jesus actually died. That was Friday, okay? And we know that Jesus resurrected from the dead on the third day, in other words, on Sunday. It was on Sunday morning. Now, what emotions do you think the disciples experienced when they, when they encountered the resurrected Jesus? What sort of things come to mind? Hello, Icona, good to see you Joy. Excitement. Excitement. Wonder. Wonder. Hope. Hope. Good one. Hope. Yeah, they were they were relieved, right? They were they were positive again. They, you know, they had joy, they had they had hope, they were excited. Um, you know, the fear was replaced with faith again. You know, the apostle Paul explains the gospel in a number of ways, but in first Corinthians fifteen from verse 3 to 4, this is what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on to list quite a few witnesses. He says all of these people have witnessed, they are eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Now, there's no doubt that if we look at how the Gospel is described in the Bible, that the resurrection is at the center of the gospel. 
Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Amen. Now, Jesus will come back to really fully bring God's kingdom to earth. You know that God's will be done on earth fully. And his kingdom will be fully established when Jesus returns. All of that's the good news. But at the center of the good news, the gospel proclamation, was that Jesus raised from the dead. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was the first fruits, that what is true of our King Jesus is true of us. They fully believed that as Jesus was raised to new life, when he returns to fully establish God's kingdom, all of those who have died in Christ will be raised and resurrected in the same way. Okay, so let's just remember what, you know, what today um, is about. Now, when Jesus spoke about what would happen to him, and when the apostles and the early church uh, proclaimed the gospel, they always made the point that he was raised on the third day. Have you ever thought about that? Why the third day? I mean, Jesus could have raised from the dead immediately, right? He could have, he could, it could have been the first day, it could have been the second, second day, it could have been the fourth day. Could have been weeks later. But he was raised on the third day. Now you see in the Old Testament Hebrew scripture, there is a consistent third day pattern. And which when we explore it and when we understand it, it enriches our understanding of resurrection. I know I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. It's good, it's, it's good for all disciples to be Bible nerds. Don't you agree to some extent, right? So as I kind of studied this out, it was like, wow, you know, this so helps me. You know, understand, you know, it's not random. You know, there's a theme. So Jesus raised, was raised on the third day because it continues a consistent three-day pattern in the Bible. I'm going to share just, I think it's four of them with you today. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the Bible directly, and I'm also going to be paraphrasing a bit. Got quite a lot to get through today, and we have a full day, don't we? Amen. We shall uh, celebrate that other event later. Genesis 1 from verse 11. And Jesus said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Now, the Genesis account of creation is it's written like a poem, there are repetitions, there are rhythms. But one rhythm that we see, and there are many, one rhythm in the creation account is something special happened on the third day. The first day and the second day, God created lightness, he created light, he created darkness, he brought water down to earth. But on the third day, this is the first mention of life. There's new life on the third day. It's plant life. It's vegetation. And then on the sixth day, which is the second third day, you get it? On the sixth day, something remarkable happened as well, associated with life. In, uh, from verse 24, yeah, I've got from verse 24 to 31. I'm not going to read the whole account. I'm just going to skip read. But uh, in verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to its kinds, and it was so. 
And then it goes on to say how God created the beasts and the livestock. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over all the livestock, etc. And God created man in his own image, we read in verse 27, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we read how God blessed them and he gave them purpose. He said, go out and multiply and rule as wise stewards over my good creation. Okay, and then in verse 31 we read, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning there, the sixth day, the second, third day. All right, so plant life was created on the third day, and on the next third day, animals and human beings were created. Before the third day, there wasn't any life. Before the second, third day, the sixth day, there was life, but there wasn't human beings. There wasn't the ultimate, the apex of God's creation was human beings. And before the sixth day, human beings didn't exist. That, you know, form of life didn't exist and human, and there was no purpose to God's creation. In the Genesis account of creation, we have two three-day events associated with bringing new life. Starting to kind of see patterns maybe on where this is leading. And then in Genesis 22, we have the second third day event. I just want to cover, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. I just remind you, you know, God comes to, to Abraham and he says, you know, take Isaac, go to Mount Moriah. And he asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Okay. You might know the story. I'm just going to fast, just, uh, fast forward here. They, they, they make an altar. Um, Isaac says, hey, Dad, we all said, you know, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide. But he puts his son on the altar and he raises a knife. I've always thought what was going through Isaac's mind there. Um, and then at the last minute, you know, God says, wait, I will provide a ram for you. And he substitutes Isaac with the ram, and, and they, you know, they, they do sacrifice the ram to God. Um, but we read in verse 4, and you can do this in your own time, this happened on the third day. The third day after God commissioned and sent Abraham to go to Mount Moriah, this happened on the third day. Now, before God intervened, Isaac was as good as dead, right? I mean, you're lying there, there's a sharp knife above you, and in a sense... In a sense, then, God provided new life for Isaac. And on the third day, God reaffirmed his covenant with Abraham. He reminded Abraham and he reaffirmed his, his faithfulness to the agreement. Now he said, man, I've blessed you. You're going to go out. Or you're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to be as, uh, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, and the sand on the seashore. So it was a renewing of covenant it was giving new life on the third day. So getting back to how do you think people felt, um, how do you feel, think that Abraham felt what was going on in his heart, do you think, before God intervened? And I would suggest, just imagine you as a father in that situation, all right? <laughs> what do you think was going on in Abraham's heart when he held that knife above his son? And I know that he's the father of faith and we say that, yeah, he would have done it because, you know, he trusted God's faithfulness 
And if I'm supposed to kill, you know, the, the son through whom God's promises will flow, surely God's just going to resurrect him again. But do you think it was that kind of logical? Huh? Doubt. Yeah, there's probably some doubt. Pain and hurt. No, sorrowful. But probably not trying to, to scare and upset his son too much. He felt angry, surely. You know, impending loss. Okay, so you can imagine how Abraham felt. Put yourself in the place of Isaac. Right? Lying on that altar, how do you felt, think that Isaac felt when his dad pulled out the knife and held it close to his throat? Unloved. Ooh, fear. Terror. Disbelief. Anguish. You know, so you can imagine all of this going on, and this was all, all on the third day. You know, but once, you know, God spoke, and Abraham was able to pick up his little boy and put him down there and put the ram there. How did they feel then? Relief, surely. Gratitude. Um, joy. Clarity. You know, it was a time of chaos and suddenly, yes, there is order and the, I understand again. And once again, the covenant was, you know, reaffirmed with them. There was, there was hope. That there was belief in what God was, was up to. Amen. So in then Exodus 19, there's another third day event. This is the giving of the law. And yeah, the Israelites have been rescued out of Egypt. They arrive in Sinai. And then God speak to, speaks to Moses and says this. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus 19 from verse 10 to 12. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. And be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. I'm reading from the ESV. Now in this account, the third day is mentioned another two times. Now, in the Bible, when there's a repeating word or phrase, it's usually because God wants us to take notice. So God wants us to know that this is another third day event. And then on this day, you know, God gives the law, he enters into a covenant with Israel. Now, before this day, you know, the Israelites, they, no, they, didn't, they didn't have a clear identity. They, they were slaves. They were controlled, you know, in Egypt. You know, they, they were lost in a sense. You know, they didn't have identity. They weren't a people. But after this, you know, they are now a people. You know, before this, they, you know, they, they had no home. God, God created a home for them. He turned them into a nation. He gave them a purpose. He gave them an identity. And after the third day, you know, they, they were now people. They were a nation. They had identity and they had hope and a future. Now, sadly, we know, we know that how the story plays out, right? Israel did not stick to their part of the covenant agreement. You know, they were meant to obey God and love him. We know that they, they messed up. You know, they, they weren't faithful to the, you know, to the covenant. They rebel against God over and over again. They worship idols. And they pretty much end up just like the nations around them that they were meant to be image bearers to. They ended up just being like the, you know, the nations around them instead of influencing them and drawing them to God. God, what did he do? He sent prophets, prophet over prophet after prophet, to call his people to repentance. And I want to read from Hosea 
Now, this is one of the prophets God sent. Uh, Hosea 6, from verse 1 to 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, but he will bind us up. Sorry, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will rise up, and we will live before him. Once again, a a third day event. You know, God tells his people if they repent, they will be revived, they will be healed, they will be given new life, all on the third day. And what are the days before the third day characterized by? It's emptiness, it's separation from God, it's brokenness. Is a need for healing. And that's what we see in this passage. But on the third day, there will be revival. There'll be restoration. There will be hope. There'll be new life. There'll be another chance at covenant faithfulness. See the pattern? Now, all of these third day events point to some extent forward to the, the resurrection of Jesus. But just to kind of pull it all all together, the things I've said, I'm just going to summarize, right? In the Bible, before a third day event, there is no life. Either there's no physical life or there's no spiritual life. Um, There's chaos. There's confusion. There's fear. There's lack of purpose. There's hopelessness. There's separation from God. But on the third day, you know, there's new life. There's order. There is hope, there is joy, there is clarity, there is healing, there is covenant. On the third day there is, there is a reversal. There is victory over the things that have been defeating us. And there is victory over the things which, which prevent the people from living out their God-given purpose. I want to reread Matthew 16 verse 21, the, the passage we started with. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You know, today on Easter Sunday, the third day, we we celebrate the victory of Jesus over death. We celebrate... The victory of Jesus over all the things that were pre-three-day events that we have spoken about. You know, Jesus has victory over those situations, over those moods, over those emotions that cause such turmoil and, and distress and loneliness and isolation and rebellion. You know, today we remind ourselves of and we recommit, you know, to the new life that we have in Christ. We recommit to the hope, to the joy, to the order rather than the chaos. And we recommit to the covenant relationship with God. And we remember and we recommit to our purpose, our God-given purpose we read about in Genesis 1, to be his image bearers and his good stewards over his creation. We could not have these things on Friday or Saturday, but we can today, Sunday, the third day. Now, if you think about the state of the world, what day does it most look like? Does it look like a Friday or Sunday? 
Friday. We all get that, right? Friday, no doubt, you know. The world resembles the first day, you know, not the third day. Our world in general is a Friday world. It's characterized by all those things. It's characterized by chaos, you know, by fear, by confusion, by distress, by sorrow, by hopelessness, by sadness, by loneliness, by brokenness, by unfulfilled roles, by lack of purpose, and also by rebellion against God. Now, the world as a whole is not in covenant relationship with God. Now, these are the types of conditions that all the other third-day events in the Bible address and want to put right. Now, as Christians, you know, we have experienced the resurrected Jesus, um, the ultimate third-day event that all the others pointed to. We need no longer be shaped by Friday. We have new life. We have order. We can have order. We have community. We have joy. We need not fear. There's healing available to us. We have life to the full that God offers us. We have purpose and we can have covenant faithfulness. And we have the sure hope, the certainty of resurrection into the age to come. Okay, that's the third day. That's the third day reality, the Sunday reality that we have available to us. You know, we should be like that. The sad truth is that many Christians are still stuck in Friday. Too many Christians look more like Friday people than Sunday people. Too many Christians look defeated, their lives are chaotic, they're fearful, anxious, seem to be without hope, joyless, and lonely. And they don't seem to be able to change their condition. Friday is a terrible place to live. It's powerless. It's frustrating. To be clear, I want to say that I do not know of a single person, certainly not me, who every day of their lives lives out the full reality of being a Sunday person. Okay. Until our world is a Sunday world when Jesus returns, we are going to slip back to Friday behavior and Friday thinking. I know of no one who's always joyful, who is always full of hope, who has no fear or anxiety at all, who has no chaos in their life, and who never doubts, and who is always on point and on purpose with God and His will. We are still all a work in progress, and we will only be like Jesus. We will be complete Sunday people only when Jesus returns. But there is a problem when we have settled for a Friday life, and we no longer desire or make any effort to be Sunday people. Agree with me? You know, it's okay slipping back. You know, we all fall back. We, we struggle. We have our ups and downs. But when Christians for months and years seem to be stuck in Friday, there's a problem. And that today, if we should always, you know, want, want to change and become more like Jesus and, and to get help, but especially today, I appeal to us. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, and if you're going to listen to the lesson later on, if you're stuck in Friday, then please, today, more than any other day, see the victory that you can have. Realize that this is not God's plan for you. 
that you can get out of this situation with help, with honest self-reflection, with prayer, and especially with the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, are you any different to most people around you as you sit here? Are you a Friday person in a Friday world? Or are you what Christians could be, should be, Sunday people in a Friday world? And we can all be, if, you've, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you've, if you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, and you, if, if you're in a community, a spirit-filled community, then you can live as a Sunday person in a Friday world. There is hope through an agency, we call it that, that um, Dr. Siazi is going to come up and explain to us. Amen. Uh, amen. Um, I wish to start our communion message. Well, before we start it, may I ask maybe just two or three people, can you think of something that's impossible to do? Something that you wanted to do, but you think, ah, that's impossible. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, good one, good one. Anybody else? Okay, Caitlin. <laughs> Learning a piano or a keyboard. <laughs> to walk to London. To walk to London within a... <laughs> I don't know within a what. Yeah, I mean, I think all these are, are great... I, uh, examples of impossible things to do. But I think really what would really be impossible is to come back to life after having been dead for three days. That is probably pretty impossible. At communion, we usually say we remember, we've come to the time when we remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, today being Easter Sunday, it really is the commemoration or anniversary of our Lord's resurrection. But coming back to coming back to life after three days. Well, when I was at medical school a few years, well, more than a few years ago, <laughs> uh, one of the things we were taught was forensic medicine, which I hated, by the way. <laughs> but in forensic medicine, what we were taught amongst the things we were taught, was actually how to estimate how long a person has been dead for. And essentially, there are a number of changes that occur when a person dies. I'm not going to go through all of them, but when one dies, and all of us are going to die, you stop breathing, the heart stops beating, and immediately, of course, there's no blood supply <laughs> to the organs in the body. Blood flow stops, there's no oxygen or nutrients to, to the various cells, and within minutes, uh, they, they actually start to break down, what we call autolysis. Within, min, within minutes, they start to break down. The body temperature comes down within, and uh, it's called algomotis, for those who are interested. Within an hour, body temperature comes down. Rigomotis, then sets in within about two to four hours. I'm sure 
most of you who watch movies have seen Rigomotis, ne? And decomposition then starts within about 24 hours. Well, visible decomposition with uh, bloating and putrefaction. Essentially, a number of studies have been done is that the brain cells are within about four hours to eight hours, there's no comeback. You can never revive those cells once they've been dead. But let's go to the scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Uh, this is, yeah, this is powerful and for me a little bit scary. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within all of us who are disciples of Jesus. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. And this brings new life to us and we become new creations and can live life to the full. As Neil preached, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead moves us from the despair of being Friday to the victory of a Sunday. But many of us, and I'm including myself, seem to be stuck in the despair and hopelessness of of a Friday. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons, I guess. But one of the ones I can, we, we can think of is in First Thessalonians 5 verse 19 and uh, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. <laughs> do not quench the spirit. It says do not quench the spirit. And another one says do not pit, another version says do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 8, but I'll read verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on, on what the Spirit desires. So, we must not quench the Spirit. We must live according to what the Spirit desires. There are many ways we can quench the Spirit, but we quench the Spirit when we don't read our Bibles. The Word of God is inspired by the Spirit, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, we, don't, we quench the Spirit when we don't exercise our spiritual gifts to serve the church, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. And indeed, we quench the spirit when we are not connected to God's family, the koinonia that has been preached over the past few days. As it says in First Ephesians verses four, chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, the spirit is one of unity and togetherness. So in short, the spirit gives us unimaginable power the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Something that is impossible for anyone to do. And it lifts us from the despair of a Friday to give us a life full of joy and hope. Let us not quench the Spirit of God. Be in God's Word. Stay connected to God's family. 
and use our spiritual gifts for the common good and to serve the church. Let's pray for the let's pray for the communion for the fruit of the vine and the body of Jesus. Lord our God, thank you Lord so much for all the great and wonderful things that you've done for us. You died for our sins on the cross, Lord. But even more important, Lord, you were resurrected to life. And Lord, I pray that the spirit, Lord, that you have planted in us, that we do not put out its fire, Lord, that indeed we do all the things that we learn in your word and uh, follow and be guided your spirit, by your spirit, Lord, to ensure, Lord, that we live full and fruitful lives. Bless us, Lord, for the rest of this year and indeed the rest of this day, week, and coming months. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Amen.